I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is Frida Hoffman, author of Carry Me, Stories of Pregnancy Loss. Upon discovering that so many other women had experienced miscarriage but had never felt comfortable sharing it, certified coach Frida Hoffman felt not only betrayed by and furious with the patriarchy that made them feel ashamed, but also a profound sense of sadness that women seemed to be made to suffer in silence. Shame and silence begets shame and silence. But she saw the opportunity to break that by sharing that essential affirmation that we are not alone in our experience of loss, infertility, healing, uncertainty, longing for catharsis, or mindset. Frida Hoffman is a transformative coach and mediator, creative consultant and entrepreneur with a passion for supporting women and courageous leadership. She has an MA in social work and conflict management and a dual degree in psychology and anthropology from Johns Hopkins University. Welcome to the show, Frida. Nice to have you on today. Thanks so much for having me, Catherine. It's great to be here. Well, as I said, I guess, in the introduction, we're going to be talking about the taboos of pregnancy loss and the politics of women's bodies. I I think that sums it up. (laughs) Yes, and it couldn't be a more timely subject, I would say, with, you know, the Supreme Court's imminent decision to strike down Roe and these overlapping forms of reproductive grief that include abortion, actually. So I think this is an interesting moment to be having this conversation. So you say over the overlapping um, conflicts and emotions associated with abortion, pregnancy loss. Um, let's let's start with it. How do they overlap? What's the difference whether one has an abortion or chooses to have an abortion, or one has a spontaneous abortion and has a miscarriage? Which I I you have suffered from. Uh, two miscarriages, as I understand it. Yes, that's correct. And I would say that that what surprised me in my own experience is learning that the medical forms of pregnancy release that do not end in a happy birth include miscarriage, stillbirth, and abortion. So these procedures that um, women get, you know, when they're having uh, the experiences of, of loss is the same. So, you know, with these laws changing, um, it really does become an issue of access uh, to quality care. You know, in my instance, uh, I had what they thought was an ectopic pregnancy uh, that I was losing. And, you know, in certain states, come the end of June, it may be that I could be charged for homicide for experiencing an ectopic pregnancy loss because I would have to go in and have a procedure that is effectively an abortion. So it's it's quite shocking this moment we're in. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, as a baby boomer and having gone through, uh, you know, Roe versus Wade and and, and just fighting for all of these reproductive rights, and it's, I guess, I'm kind of repeating what's being said over and over again, but it's just... It's an abomination. I don't know what what we can call mm-hmm. it, but I guess we just have to go forward. Uh, that's all we can do, and uh, that's what your book exactly. does. Exactly. Yeah. Yes, uh, and and sharing 
our stories. I think humanizing the experience of loss and grief is such an important part of these conversations and of how we do ultimately care for one another in, you know, an, an organized healthcare setting, as well as we make laws that support well-being. And, um, yeah, so I think with this book, certainly I wrote this before um, the, the latest news here, but um, it's so important to be normalizing the dialogue around loss and grief so that we can better care for one another. So why do you think we have been or felt ashamed to talk about a miscarriage, for instance. I, I personally just learned from my mother that her mother had a miscarriage. I had, I mean, we were talking yeah. about you know, 50 years. I never knew that she, she's four right. years younger, four years younger than her brother. And my mother said, Oh yes, my mother had a miscarriage in between my brother and me. Really? I, yeah. no one ever discussed it. <laughs> right. Um, yeah. And I, I, I think a big part of that is that women, are made to feel that it's their fault. And so there's this shame that develops that somehow, oh, I did this, or I, you know, tripped down the stairs, or I was, I had that drink that I shouldn't have had, or my body's broken. You know, there are all these tropes, there's all these things that we tell ourselves. And I think a lot of these messages are reinforced by society at large. And um, I think also that a, the medical community has come a very long way in understanding the cause of pregnancy loss. And still, there's so much that we don't know. And there's so much uh, that women hope to hear to understand more about why they experience this loss that doctors can't yet tell them. And so I think that translates into, oh, well, it must be me. It must be my fault. My body failed. I think that's, don't you that's think, a big Frida, part of where that shame feel- comes uh, feel a sense also of uh, I'm a failure. I failed at this, and and that the Absolutely. doctors themselves also. I think there's part of that in terms of their psyche that they too feel I failed. I uh, this pregnancy failed, and no one wants to talk about it. Either the doctor or and for different reasons, or um, or or the woman, or so there's that sense of. It keeps coming up, sense of failure, shame, failure, all of the the negativity surrounding uh, a miscarriage or an abortion. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes. We we, we failed. I failed. Um, And I think, you know, when we we have those feelings, it's so hard to open up and talk about it. And so we don't hear that other people are having these experiences and that further isolates us from them, from one another, and and finding that support that we can give each other. Were you able to talk to somebody when you had your miscarriages or your ectopic pregnancy? I It took me some time to open up, really. Um, I just kind of went inward, even though I have a background in psychology and social work. Um, I just, I found myself in quite a dark place, dark and lonely, and I just, I really had no idea that miscarriage was so common when I was experiencing my own. And, um, you know, as soon as I did start opening up, I would say about a week into my experience of loss, it was just, you know, women were coming out of the woodwork to tell me, oh, me too, me too. I, you know, I know my sister or I had this experience or I have, I've gone through this three times. You know, so many people just came out to share that they too had gone through this. 
you have what 20 stories in your book uh, different women different yeah so including mine all, yeah yeah different uh, situations different ethnicities um how did you come to choose each one of them and 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 why i guess mm, i love that question thank you um well i did speak with many many more women i feel like i've heard hundreds if not thousands of stories since i let folks know that i was interested in doing this project um yeah i i will say that I, the the range of experiences um in these stories is quite vast. So, um, you know, there is, uh, there are women who are struggling with fertility and recurrent miscarriages. There are queer folks. There are, there's a woman who, you know, didn't even plan to have a pregnancy and never intended to become a mother. Um, there are folks who are traveling across the world to get cheaper IVF to be able to have a child, uh, there are many different experiences from poor to very wealthy. Um, and I would say that for the, the vast majority of the stories uh, are more focused around women who, you know, look and um, maybe have similar experiences to me. So that is a shortcoming of the book. And yet I think these experiences of loss are, are quite diverse. Um, and when I say look and, and, and have similar experiences to me, meaning white, cis, hetero, you know, 30s to 40s or so. What about uh, pregnancy loss as a public health issue? Because we don't always, I don't think as a society, we don't look at it as a public health issue, and it is for lots of different reasons. So let's yes, talk about yes. Yeah. Yeah, I think, um, you know, these stories and just these conversations with so many women and couples who have gone through this experience have really illuminated for me how poorly we approach this from a public health perspective, that there's so little uh, that we have access to as children and even young adults about loss that we really don't understand how common it is. And, you know, there there's so many ways that we can educate and make that more um, uh, of a known quantity so that our expectations can be, you know, somewhat measured. And yet we, we don't do that. And I think, you know, sex education, sex health education has been dialed so far back in this country over the last, I would say, you know, 20 years or so, um, that that certainly is going in the wrong direction in terms of um, what we can do to to use public health to get the word out and to, to better support folks through this experience. Well, we don't talk about those kinds of nasty issues when we're telling, about, <laughs> uh, giving information in school about sex. We talk about mommy and daddy and loving each other and having a beautiful baby right. and end of story, which is yeah. uh, a Cinderella yeah, it's story. Yeah, the Hollywood ending. Yes, yeah. the great <laughs> ending. And uh, so th th that's ver not the truth and it's not science and it's uh it's a lot of things but it's certainly not helpful let's put it that way yes i think you're absolutely right, right. It, 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 when it's not when it's not a, a, a picture of reality it's less helpful and i think if folks knew that you know upwards of one in four if not one in three pregnancies end in loss by by some measures i think that would be a different conversation 
So when should we start having this conversation? I mean, you're having a, your book is about having conversations with women who have obviously been through this loss. When do mm-hmm. we start having conversations, real conversations with our children, with women? I mean, so that the next generation of women, you're talking about the past 20 years, we've just, you know, we're not doing a very good job about uh, mm. informing our children about sex or marriage, uh, and not marriage necessarily, just sex and, and reproduction and all the th- things right. that can happen to one. Yeah. So uh, when do we start talking to our daughters? Yeah, I mean, that's such a great question. I Some of the women that I interviewed for this book said, that, you know, they, they want to start having those conversations with their living children about the children who didn't make it, um, you know, when they're still quite young, when they're three, four, five, you know, to really start to just start seeding these conversations so that it becomes normalized. And I think if we can reach children at a younger age to have just honest conversations that, hey, not all pregnancies end in a happy birth, then that's, you know, that's, that's a beautiful start to have those loving conversations. Um, the earlier, probably the better. I think, you know, when do we start talking to children about death generally? I guess when a grandparent passes away or someone, you know, in the family, um, you know, comes to their end, that becomes a conversation. And so what if we started having those conversations about pregnancy loss when they occur or when it feels like it's, you know, it's okay to talk about for the parents, but they've, they've healed enough that they're in an okay place to discuss that with their children. So we're talking about normalizing the dialogue around loss. And I think that does change or it does change then expectations because if you, if you're going to, uh, well, we can take the medical community. If, if one is having surgery, they tell you the risks usually, I mean, they have to now legally, what are the risks of having these surgeries? So you have realistic expectations of what can happen. I think whenever you right. do that, which is what you're describing, we're in a much better place. Um, and absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, that's essential. So, how do we make this connection now, because your book is timely, between the choosing to terminate a pregnancy and not choosing and, and, and not choosing or not wanting to terminate the pregnancy, but in both cases, it's loss. How is it mm-hmm. different or is it different? Is it a different feeling? Or what are the feelings attached to both of those? One's a choice and one's not. I I think there are a lot of feelings that are shared in those experiences. And I'll be honest, I've had, you know, the morning after pill. As I've, I've technically had, um, you know, the pill abortion myself as well as experienced miscarriage. And those were quite different experiences for me. Um, one was with a lot of longing um, and hope. And the other, I was much younger. Um, and the hope was to not get pregnant <laughs> and how interesting um, when those things can change so dramatically over our lifetime. Um, but, you know, that's my very limited experience. But I think, you know, we're, we're coming to understand that these are complex sets of emotions here that um, while I may be choosing to... Uh, and a pregnancy or not, I, I may experience that, that 
range of emotions um, and I still need the same kind of care or might need similar access to care that I would um, either way. So I think that it really just comes down to healthcare and what are we doing to ensure that our physical and mental well-being is really being attended to in, in, in the best way possible. And I think the way these laws are going, we're, we're really moving away from health and well-being and into criminalization. Um, and it's, it's a scary place uh, to go. So again, I think just sharing these stories and really humanizing the experience for folks who might not know or understand the complexity of, you know, the physical experience and the emotional experience. Yeah. I mean, in, in my opinion, we are moving towards, I, I may even say it in a, uh, maybe a little bit stronger. I mean, I think they're draconian uh, laws that we are beginning to yeah. institute for women and, um, I guess, and you're talking about we need the emotional support. So what we're going to do mm -hmm. is just the opposite because women are going to be afraid of, they're going right. to get abortions. They're going, somehow they're going to do it. And, but yep. that support's not going to be there and being open and normalizing the feelings is, is going to be gone. You're going to have to really pick and choose who you want to talk to your, uh, mm -hmm. choice about, uh, you know, so that it, it's, it, it it really kind of goes absolutely against what we're what you're saying, and I'm agreeing with. Um, it's going to be a very difficult, yeah. I mean, we yeah. We we know that women are going to continue to have abortions. The question is whether they'll be safe or not. And the way these laws are going, it looks like we're risking that they won't be safe. So well, again, it's like we're putting who are you not know women's health perform abortions, not having had the experience of doing it, not being trained, not being out there, not discussing it with their colleagues. I mean, there's a whole right. litany of things that are, are going to go wrong medically and emotionally and physically for the woman and yeah. for physicians. Yeah. Right. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is an uplifting <laughs> conversation. This is a dangerous topic. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's keep talking because that's what your book is all about. I mean, you wrote the book, exactly. you're talking about it. This, you, you, we just have to get it out there. Um, we do. Yeah. Um, it's funny, as I've been sharing with folks, you know, that, that this launch is coming up for the book, and there's still some folks in my orbit who don't know that I've been working on this project somehow. Um, <laughs> and so when I've shared with them, oh, yeah, so I have this book coming out. Oh, what's the book about? I, I generally get the response from people that, oh, I'm, you know, I'm so sorry, or we don't have to talk about that. And I always say, no, this is exactly the point. We should be talking about it. Please don't close up and not have the conversation with me. Like, this is, this is what the book is about. <laughs> so I absolutely, these conversations are important. And even when they veer into, you know, very, uh, hot, hot button issues like abortion. This is, you know, our bodies, our health, our politics are all related. Well, this is a taboo subject and, and that's what you're, I mean, that's the illustration when you're talking about these friends or colleagues. Well, we don't have to talk right. about it. Yeah. Well, and actually it could, I mean, why don't you want to talk about it? Maybe would be my next question to them. Um, but uh, <laughs> right. Depending, right. Yeah. 
depending on who they are. Yeah, and I think, sure. And I think part of that is just, you know, those taboo subjects, we just, we feel uncomfortable as a society talking about them. And yet, why? You know, um, and I think we don't want to make the other person feel uncomfortable or that they have to share too much or that, oh, it's about your body and that's very personal and it's a very intimate experience. And, and yes, that can all be true for the person experiencing that. And also, you know, when we're, when we're not talking about it, again, we're not getting that support. And I think this kind of reminds me of the whole 12-week rule, um, that this common idea that um, folks shouldn't announce the pregnancy until after the first trimester, um, when the chances of miscarriage are, are significantly lower. Um, and And when we do that, when we have this notion that you you can't share, it also means that if there's a loss, folks don't know, you know, that you were pregnant, and then it's this kind of longer conversation to be had, oh, well, now I have to explain I was pregnant, and now there's not a pregnancy, and so it's just, you know, it's too much work, I don't want to burden them with that. And so women don't get the support, the social support, um, because they're not sharing from the outset. And so there there is a real tension there, and I respect couples who you know, and women who decide not to announce pregnancies until after whatever time feels comfortable. That's always a personal choice. But really, there, there is, you know, some, some good questioning around that rule, so to speak. Frida, what about the different, and you had different couples in, in, that you spoke to, are there differences between, let's say, if your partner is a man or your partner is another woman, or if you have no partner at all? Those are three different scenarios. Sure. Yeah. Sure. I think, you know, and, and every, every experience is unique. And, um, but yeah, I think there were some interesting differences in the experience of loss um, for, for many of the women that I spoke with who, who had, yeah, either a, a woman, um, at a, another partner, and could really just appreciate at least the physical experience of being a woman and having periods and going through, you know, the, the reproductive changes throughout the course of a cycle. And so there's a certain knowledge, a certain intimate knowledge of uh, the female body that maybe a male partner could not appreciate um, to a more fuller extent. Um, yeah, so in that sense, I think there are some some differences. And of course, the experience of going through loss or grief um, without a partner can, there, I think there, there are both pros and cons to that. I know one woman in the, in the book shared that at some point it felt like she was competing for grieving with her, her husband, that they were both so distraught by this loss that she felt like, you know, as a woman who was carrying this pregnancy and no longer that she should have priority in her grieving. And, you know, such a fascinating <laughs> set of contradictions and just experience and, you know, feelings that we move through in, in our grief. So, yeah, I mean, I think that there, there was a lot of nuance there. And I, I mentioned those, were there any other nuances that I haven't asked the question, uh, you know, uh, that you in interviewing these women, um, that other nuances came into play depending on the situation of, of, of the person you were inter- interviewing? Yeah, I mean, I will, I, so many, so many, Catherine. I, I think what 
something else that really shocked me and also resonated given my own experiences was just the financial burden of loss that, you know, we, we're, we're so underserved in, in healthcare in this country generally. It's, it's relatively expensive. Um, most people do not have, you know, adequate healthcare. And many people end up paying out of pocket for um, pretty traumatic experiences and get these surprise bills later. And that, that is, you know, par for the course here, too. Um, and I, I think, you know, for some reason in my mind, it was like, oh, well, you know, you're pregnant, you get health care. That's, of course, going to be part of the package. And if there's a loss, that will be covered, too. But no, <laughs> many of these uh, procedures, you know, women are getting these giant bills afterwards. And, you know, that's not even talking about, uh, you know, IUI or IVF using these other um, ways to stimulate fertility, which are incredibly expensive. You know, for some couples, this can be upwards of $20,000 for each attempt to um, get pregnant with in vitro fertilization, for instance. So I think just the financial burden of loss was shocking to me and that there there is so much nuance within that. Yeah, I think that's an important point because I, ha- I do know many women who have gone through IV and yes, anywhere from ten to $20,000 uh, for one procedure. The loss mm-hmm. is, yeah, so the loss covers, and I think that I'm glad you mentioned that because the financial loss is also horrific. And that brings us into, well, you're talking about the healthcare system. There's really little transparency in terms of cost and um, all the information is opaque, I guess if we can use that word. And Mm -hmm. that's a problem. That's an issue. Um, What about, how do men fit into this picture besides Mm. impregnation (laughs) 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 or sperm? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I think that depends on, you know, what, what each woman's situation is, right? So, um, and this is, of course, you know, assuming a, a hetero couple generally we're talking about. But, um, yeah, I think, you know, men, for the most part, have even fewer opportunities to express their grief and get support. So if there are grieving uh, fathers out there, would-be fathers, I think that that's a, that's a real hurdle. I know that... Um, there, there is one book I've seen on the topic that came out in the last few years that specifically targets um, men and their grieving pregnancy loss, and that that's um, pretty revolutionary. I think in terms of support groups and just uh, it being a conversation at large, it's it's even less so than for women grieving. So I, I think you know we have a long way to go in terms of supporting men and in mental health. Um, and that really we can see very clearly here in pregnancy loss as well. Well, Frida, this is, uh, uh, besides being an interesting conversation, it's really informative and we have one minute left. So I want Carry Me is the title of the book, Stories of Pregnancy Loss, and Frida Hoffman is the author. And the book comes out when? June 1st? June 7th. June 7th. Okay. June 7th. Where can we get the book, website and or websites to go to for information, obviously, about the book and your work. Yeah, so my website is FridaHoffman.com, and the book is available now for pre-ordered. I think they're actually shipping 
um, through Amazon and Bookshop already or wherever you buy your books. Um, so go out, please support this effort to normalize the dialogue around loss um, so that we can support one another better. And, and Catherine, thanks so much for having me on. This is great to chat with you. Yeah, it was great checking, talking to you and chatting. Thank you, Frida Hoffman. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Mm-hmm.